Welcome to Room 106. I'm Richard Garlick from Planning Magazine. And I'm John Gagan, also from Planning Magazine. Every fortnight, we're going to be braving Room 106, the world of pain created by the never-ending blizzard of new planning information and extracting the key things you need to know. Hang on, why is it called Room 106? Good question. It's named after a complicated and time-consuming aspect of the planning process, the Section 106 agreements between developers and local authorities that aim to make acceptable development that would otherwise be unacceptable. Okay, that makes sense. Quite involved, but bear with us. Coming up, the key news stories of the past fortnight and why they might be important to you. We take a deeper dive into the government's softening of the penalties faced by councils who deliver fewer homes than they should. What's behind it? And reader's choice. The story that we couldn't really justify including on grounds of significance to your day-to-day working life, but which has been read by a surprisingly large proportion of our audience. By the end of the show, we hope you should know enough about the events of the last fortnight to make it through your next meeting unscathed. Shall we brave the blizzard, John, and enter room 106? I guess we must. Here we are, in room 106, the place where all new planning information is dumped. To me, it looks a complete whirlwind. Decisions, statistics, local plan news. I wouldn't know where to start. So it's a good thing you're here, John. You sift through this stuff every day. I certainly do. Can we, uh, can we drop the special effects now? So what stood out to you as important in terms of the stories in the past fortnight? Okay, so the first story I've picked out is one that relates to the Prime Minister's speech at the Tory party conference uh, earlier in the month, where he said there was plenty of room for building new homes on previously developed or brownfield land and suggested there was no need to build on greenfield land or in the southeast of England, although this wasn't entirely clear. Um, The speech went down very well with groups like CPRE that are opposed to greenfield development I want to see national policy encouraging more building on brownfield land. And following that speech, a council in Hertfordshire announced that it's temporarily stopped work on its draft local plan as it gets clarity from the government on a possible change in policy on building homes on greenfield land and also wants to cut its housing target. And obviously this is something that should be of concern to those who want to see greater local plan coverage. Okay, so... This is local councils responding to a speech that was given at the party conference. Yeah. Do we think that, is there any sign that other councils are going to do the same thing and say that Prime Minister's saying there's no building on greenfield sites, so we've got to change our plan accordingly? Well, funnily enough, we've um, done another story today about a council in Nottinghamshire that has done pretty much the same thing and says that it's um, dropped work on its local plan while it's also seeking clarity from the government on what's going on. Gosh, okay. So do we think that the the government is, um, uh, has it clarified whether Boris Johnson meant people to, to take this speech as, um, as instructing them just to stop development on greenfield sites? Well, that, that's a good question. Um, certainly that's how it's been interpreted by conservation groups and groups that are opposed to um, new development. The government hasn't been entirely clear, though, and Johnson's speech echoed similar comments by the new housing secretary, Michael Gove, at the conference. So certainly they're giving a sort of nod in that direction, but um, we haven't got clarity yet from the government on what exactly they mean and whether there is, in fact, a, a change of policy. I mean, officially there isn't. There's been nothing 
changed in terms of policy or guidance on this? It's a big step, isn't it? Because 20 years ago, we had a we had a national brownfield target. 60% of new homes should be built on, on brownfield sites. Right. And I think at, at one stage, maybe two-thirds of housing was built on brownfield sites. But um, certainly there were worries that that coincided with the proportion might have been high on brownfield sites, but the total number of, of homes completed um, dropped in that period. But even if you're building two-thirds of your housing on, on brownfield sites, that's still a third of your housing or 100,000 homes a year that need to be built on green fields. So if people are taking the message from the government to be, you don't need to build anything on greenfield sites, then that's going to raise questions about its ability to achieve its 300,000 target, I guess. Absolutely, yep. Great stuff. So is, uh, what's the, what, what else have we, have we got from the last couple of weeks? So my second story is an appeal decision that's got a load of interest from our readers, which was where an inspector dismissed a, um, a major housing appeal in North London on design grounds. And this was despite the local authority lacking the um, required five-year housing land supply. And that's usually a key factor in allowing appeals. So what was notable was that the inspector explicitly referred to the government's national design guidance and the July changes to the national planning policy framework, which he said further place emphasis on granting permission for well-designed buildings and refusing it for poor quality schemes. So we followed this up for an analysis article and the commentators we spoke to thought the decision to be um, very significant. Some said it was the first time that an inspector had referred to these recent policy and guidance changes in an appeal decision. And they said it was likely to see decision makers uh, encouraged to refuse other unsuitable schemes on design matters. That's interesting. And and just as a matter of interest, what was it that the inspector didn't like about the design of the scheme? Uh, It's a high-rise scheme and it's going to be built in several blocks. And he felt that the, um, the scheme's towers the appearance of it would be seen as, um, he described its bulk as very different from the existing tall buildings. And because of the position of the scheme, it's on the edge of uh, North Finchley town centre and it's next to um, some low-rise suburban housing. And he said the buildings wouldn't respond well to the existing grain of the town centre or be well integrated with the predominantly low to mid-rise pattern in the area. So it sounds like they're hoping for some kind of high-density housing that doesn't go high which is the sort of thing that people in theory say is achievable, but seems to happen quite rarely. And it's not not always easy to point to actual examples of where this has been achieved. Do we know how uh, the developer is going to respond to this? Yes. Well, the developer is Taylor Wimpy, the uh, national house builder. And uh, they told us that they've taken on board the comments of the inspector and they are now looking at their options with an alternative proposal for this site. So it sounds like a revised application will come forward. Okay, well, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see whether they, um, you know, what other kind of solution a, a, a sort of major house builder comes up with in, in in that situation. Fantastic. You have a third one. I do indeed. So my third story is one that's been the most read story of October so far by our readers, and it's about um, the government publishes quarterly um, performance figures for local authorities looking at their development management, so their decision-making uh, on planning applications, and it's what they what the government calls its special measures programme. And the latest statistics from the housing department on what they call the quality of decision-making, so that relates to appeals where council's decisions are overturned, 
or can be overturned by a planning inspector. Um, this shows that five local authorities in England were over the uh, special measures threshold for the proportional decisions that were overturned at appeal. And that threshold is 10%. And it's something, this this issue uh, of local authority performance is something our readers are always incredibly interested in, whether it's this looking at decision-making or the housing delivery test, which is measuring how many homes are being built in a council area compared to their housing requirement. So actually, that sounds like quite a tough test. If you're a council and you lose 10% of the cases that you face at appeal, 10% of those cases, are the, the appeals are allowed then you could be sanctioned. Well, it's actually measured looking at the number of major decisions that right. are eligible for appeal over right. a two-year period. So it's actually looking at a very broad range. It's looking at a lot of decisions that are made by council. It's not just looking at the appeal, the ones that go to appeal. Right. So it's a proportion of those. Right, OK. Um, and it's actually quite a small number, if you think about all the local planning authorities in England that are over this threshold. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's certainly certainly the, the, the number of councils affected is... Um, doesn't seem very great. But are even those councils actually likely to be sanctioned by the government? Well, looking at what's been happening over the past few years, it's probably unlikely. In fact, the council, I mean, so the government's been using this special measures programme for about seven or eight years now, but it's, I don't think it's actually designated the council for, um, for quite some time. So what tends to happen now is that, um, just to explain, the, the, the penalty for councils that are placed in special measures is that their decision-making is taken out of their hands and the the government's planning inspectorate instead can determine applications from a, if a developer wishes to go down that route. But that's only happened in a couple of occasions. And what's tended to happen recently is that the, uh, the planning, the local government association's planning advisory service instead works very closely with councils that are in the danger zone and tries to improve their performance and that, this has actually been shown to be very, uh, pretty effective, actually, if you look at some of the councils that have been in trouble in recent years and how their performance has improved over time. Okay, so the, it's felt that, or the, the, the government argue, would argue that the, the threat of the sanction is actually being effective in terms of improving these councils' performance. That's right, yeah. The, the threat of it is actually proving effective. Allied, I guess, to the intensive help from the Planning Advisory Service. That's right. So bearing in mind all of that, why are our readers so interested in it, do you think? I guess there's a commercial interest, isn't there, in um, planning consultants looking at councils that are performing poorly when it comes to um, appeals for their clients, for the developers. Then it's it's areas potentially where they're likely to have more success in, in gaining permission for housing schemes. They might be emboldened to an appeal in a place where they, which they know is not that successful in defending appeals, essentially. Yeah, potentially, yeah. yes. And I think there's also a sense that uh, it's interesting for our readers to find out which councils aren't, especially if they are local authority planners as well, that there's a sense of what, how are we doing in these figures and um, how are our neighbours doing. Makes sense. Okay, well, thanks very much for that, John. Good to get an overview of the past fortnight's uh, news and, and, and why it matters. But for the moment, I'm going to have to leave you to continue scrutinising all the incoming news because I've now got a personal mission to undertake this fortnight's deep dive. Well, 
One of the things that's been troubling us in the past couple of weeks is what exactly the changes that the government's recently announced to the housing delivery test are going to mean for everybody. As our listeners will know, the housing delivery test is the method that the government uses to try and incentivise councils to deliver the number of homes that are needed. And it's intended to penalise councils who don't do very well in doing that. But we recently we've heard that this year at least, the government's going to soften some of the penalties. So we're trying to work out what that means for everybody. I'm finding it hard to imagine how we're going to get to the bottom of this. But hang on a minute. Just looking over to the corner of this cavernous room, I think I can sort of see a figure shrouded in gloom. My goodness, it's David Blackman, our regular correspondent on some of these matters. David, hello. Oh, hello, Richard. David, I'm very sorry to find you in such stressful surroundings, but I don't suppose, do you, um, is the housing delivery test something that you're you're familiar with? Yes, yes, I've just been looking into it, actually, yeah. Fantastic. Well, then maybe maybe you can start off by um, telling us a little bit about what the government's going to do in terms of changing how this all works. Right. Well, the most recent thing is that uh, Chris Pincher, the housing minister, made a, a, or he submitted a written ministerial statement to the House of Commons early last month. He said that councils are going to have to, well, that the the housing delivery test is going to be adjusted for the last year, i.e. 2020-2021, so that uh, four months delivery are going to be taken off the housing delivery test. And And that reflects the period from April to the end of July when, of course, you know, a lot, as, as we all know, a lot, of, uh, a lot of construction sites stopped, a lot of planning departments stopped working and or, or operating virtually. Uh, so really, it's designed to reflect that period of, of intense disruption that we experienced at the beginning of last financial year. Oh, OK. So this is, a, this is, this is all part of the kind of sort of making this reflect what happened in, in the COVID period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's another point as well. There was already a month taken off the previous year's figures i.e. 2019-2020, and that reflected what was going on in March, when, of course, the whole crisis was beginning to unfold. Okay. So what kind of impact do you think this is going to have? How do you see this affecting councils? How many fewer are going to face penalties than, than would have done otherwise? And, and, you know, and how many are going to see a, the sort of severity of the penalty yeah, that they might have faced? Absolutely, changing? yeah. I think we're looking, we've been past some figures by one of the leading planning consultancies who've done some number crunching. Now, the official completions data isn't out yet, but what this consultancy's done, and these figures have been shown to us, and that was based on things like the number of energy performance certificates that were awarded during the course of last year. So more, so this is more kind of real-time data than the official completions data, which isn't out yet. But what, what that's showing is that, uh, in fact, I've got the figures here. Yeah, we're talking about um, 81 councils. So that's a quarter of English local planning authorities either had to have no penalties, i.e. they passed the test, or they have less severe penalties. Um, an important point here is that a total of 31 would no longer suffer the most severe penalty, i.e. the presumption in favour of development. Fantastic. Thank you very much, David. Um, clearly, well, this would seem to be letting a lot of councils off the hook. Is, is, mm. that, is that fair? Um, it's... It may be letting some councils off the hook. I mean, we have to take into account the fact that the point that the councils will make is that they were suffering a huge amount of disruption last year. So um, it would feel slightly unfair to being tested on a delivery number when no delivery was happening. But I mean, I think the, the feedback I got from a, certainly from a lot of the private sector consultants, which I spoke to, was that they felt that this was erring on the generous side. Um, we know that by, well, certainly by the end of 
May last year, quite a lot of activity was starting again in the development sector. Okay. And um, just generally, are there any indications about the types of authority that are most likely to escape the presumption or, um, or, 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 or the types of authority that are um, uh, uh, most vulnerable to, to, to still being hit by it? Mm. It looks like a real mixed bag in terms of the authorities that, um, that are escaping the presumption. But one indicator is that the authorities that were in, were in presumption in favour of development territory before this tended to be in the more overheated housing markets. So there was a, there you, could, you could see a relationship between the less affordable housing markets and the councils that were having trouble meeting the test. So maybe you could say that, there's a, that it will help those authorities in more overheated parts of the country. Um, there could be an urban-rural dimension to this as well in that um, construction work started more quickly in some parts of the country on some types of sites than others. For example, if you were doing a, a greenfield development on the edge of town, it was probably a lot easier to start work than if you were building a tower block in the middle of a conurbation. So there could be implications there by the type of project that's coming forward in, within the individual local authority and hence their ability to meet the test. David, thank you very much for that. I'll leave you to continue sifting through the information in here and, uh, and maybe see you in a future visit. Yeah, cheers. See you later. Right, now I need to find John again so he can select his reader's choice. Ah, oh, there he is. Hi, Richard. So my reader's choice for this week is a story we covered in our daily newspaper roundup coverage um, that was featured in the Daily Telegraph. And it reported that the house builder Persimmon Homes has been ordered to modify properties after they were built backwards. So the story said the developer was building 262 homes in Colchester in Essex and it had built an entire block of homes, up to three-bedroom homes, where the windows, doors and balconies were facing the wrong way from the plans that were permitted. And a local councillor described what has happened as a major cock-up, just beggar's belief. So what did, what did Persman say about all this? Well, they said they've made some uh, limited, what they called limited alterations to the positioning of some of the windows in line with the um, planning consent. So again, it's one of those stories that our readers typically love where a, a councillor or a developer or the government has made a, a big planning blunder. Yeah, it is. Uh, that is it's almost always a guarantee, isn't it, of... Um, if someone makes a mistake, it must be Schadenfreude. I suppose. I suppose everybody in planning is—you um, spend your life desperately trying to avoid mistakes. So our audience seems to love information about when things go wrong. Yeah, it's a case of there, but for the grace of God. Yeah, must be, must be. Okay, thanks very much, John. Well, I think that's all we need for this episode. We can now afford to leave room one hundred and six. What a relief. Phew. But thanks, John and David. I think we got the information that we needed. Listeners, we hope you can join us next time for another foray into the innards of Room 106. Please do subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Twitter at PlanningMag. And in the meantime, to get a daily update on key developments in the planning sector, subscribe at planningresource.co.uk. Thank you very much and see you soon. Bye.